I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I've power to lay it down and I've power to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon in and out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus is rejected by the Jews. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I've told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Well, I don't know about you, but my subjective experience of the last couple of years has been a growing sense of my own mortality. From the huge global death toll of the pandemic, to wars in Afghanistan, Syria, and now Ukraine, the fragility of life is increasingly apparent, and the invincibility of youth seems an ever-receding illusion as each year passes. It may just be that this is creeping middle age. I do, after all, turn 50 this year. And the marriages of friends give way to divorces, and divorces in turn are giving way to remarriages. And the generation above me that once seemed eternal is giving way to illness and infirmity. It all feels very real and life seems very fragile. And I'm left wondering in my darker moments about what the point of it all is. Sometimes in fact, it feels as though there are forces at work in the world seeking to stifle life and joy and creativity. And I suspect I'm not alone in sometimes struggling to find meaning in life and death. After all, what at the end of the day is it all about? What's the point of life? What's the point of death? What's the point of fighting and struggling and surviving or not? Where do we turn for meaning in it all? Well, there are many people around in this world who it seems are only too willing to offer to look after us. 
Sometimes it can feel as if from cradle to grave, someone somewhere is promising to take care of us. Whether it is a political ideology on offer or a religious belief, whether it is consumerism or capitalism, the range of options on offer to assuage our existential angst are huge. You only have to spend a few minutes watching the adverts on the telly to be bombarded with people offering to solve problems that we didn't even know we had until that moment the nice smiling person in the advert told us that they had now found the solution. And of course the reason this is such a powerful and effective advertising method is that deep down many of us latch in very easily at a subconscious level to the idea that something is deeply wrong and we long for someone to take care of us. We long to feel safe and secure, perhaps to recapture something of the safekeeping felt by the small child we once were, with parents attentive to our every need and the next feed only a screaming fit away. But it's not just the adverts offering to pander to our every desire. We live in a society which is inherently structured to take care of us. The police are there, we are told, to keep our streets free of crime. And the health services work with the scientists to keep our bodies illness free. A plethora of diet plans and fitness classes promise to keep us young and beautiful forever. From spinning to Zumba, from swimming to Pilates, we can exercise to our heart's content and hopefully it's continued good health. And then there's the whole host of creams and ointments promising youthful looking skin into old age as the wrinkles just melt away. Our insurance companies say they'll always be there for us, whatever little accidents come along. Our marriage partners promise to have and to hold us till death us do part. Our parents say they'll love and support us, their little baby. Our friends say they'll stand by us, come what may. The preacher on the God Channel, which I sometimes end up watching, promises cheap grace and easy salvation. And we elect our politicians to represent us on their promise of taking our needs with them into government. Whether it is compassionate conservatism or democratic socialism, from the nanny state to the big society, from the personal to the national, we are surrounded by people and institutions and ideologies, all of whom are too ready to offer to care for us throughout our lives, all of whom keep promising to help us keep the wolf from the door, and yet, and yet. How cared for are we really? Ultimately, we still age, we still get sick, and eventually, I'm afraid, each of us will die. That's life. Marriages still fail. Parents grow frail. Insurance companies declare an act of God and then decline to pay out. Our streets show ample evidence of crime, and all too often the bad guys do get away with it. Politicians follow the whip if they know what's good for them on their way to the front bench. Countries go to war over self-interest and nationalist ideologies. And televangelists get richer as their congregations pay for salvation. You know, sometimes it feels like we are sheep without a shepherd. Lost amidst a bewildering array of promises. Unsure who to believe, who to distrust uncertain who to turn to for help when the going gets tough. And make no mistake, there is plenty out there to distrust. 
there's plenty out there to be afraid of. As the current tragedy of the war in the Ukraine so horrifically demonstrates, the wolves of the world circle around us, just waiting for us to show our vulnerability so they can pounce. And when they do, who is to care for us? Now, don't get me wrong. The police, the health services, the politicians, our friends, our families, our loved ones, they all, at their best, I'm sure do their best. And sometimes they do it very well. But ultimately, when the wolf bites, Sometimes the best they can do is just stand alongside us, holding our hands to comfort us as we find ourselves passing through the valley of the shadow of death, facing that which we have so long sought to avoid. And it's at moments like this when other helpers melt away that Jesus' words from John's Gospel, I think, take on their most compelling meaning. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. And the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus draws a distinction between a Good Shepherd who protects his sheep even unto death and a hired hand who doesn't own the sheep in his care. The hired hand, who is paid to protect the sheep, will ultimately fail them if the danger gets too real, if the wolf gets too close. The hired hand, however well-intentioned, is never going to exercise the same care for the sheep as the shepherd who owns them and knows them by name. So Jesus' description of himself as the good shepherd is an image of great comfort for those facing times of darkness and difficulty in their lives. And many have found great assurance in Jesus' words, when they have experienced the terror of being deserted by all other earthly consolations. But this image is far more than simply an assurance for those who need comforting. You see, the description of Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep offers a direct challenge to the way in which we have been conditioned to understand the very concept of care and protection. The way the world typically works is that we enter into a contract with someone or something who promises to take care of us. We pay our taxes and they pay the police and collectively we pay for the NHS and then some individuals pay a bit more for private health care. We pay our politicians and our insurance companies. We pay for our low-fat cookbooks, our diet classes and our fitness groups. We even speak of marriage as a contract. We pay, we pay, we pay. And in return, we receive that which we have bought. And we are cared for and protected and loved and looked after, at least we are some of the time. I want to suggest that the ideology behind much of this care that we buy ourselves into is an ideology of death avoidance. A lot of the time, what we're paying for is to cheat death for one more year. We're paying to sleep safely in our beds for another night. And so we judge the success of the care we receive by whether we make it through another day unscathed, through another year unharmed. Yet all the while we creep closer to that point at which we will be deserted by the guardians with which we have so assiduously surrounded ourselves. From the world's perspective, you see death is so often seen as the ultimate failure. 
It's the point at which our contracted protectors fail us. It's the point at which our medical care has run its course. It's the point at which we are parted from our loved ones. It is, if you like, the ultimate enemy, one we are told is to be avoided and postponed at all costs. But Jesus' statement in John's Gospel, that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, brings us face to face with the brute reality for all of us of death. Because the care he offers us is not a care which avoids death. It is rather a care which embraces death. That's the fundamental difference of what it means for Jesus to be our shepherd in comparison to all other offers of salvation and care that exist in the world. Jesus does not offer us a care which avoids death. He offers us a care which embraces death. He describes himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So when the hound of death finally creeps up on us and takes us in its jaws, Jesus describes himself as the one, the only one, who will not, cannot desert us, because he himself is the one who journeys with us through death, laying down his own life as we lay down ours in order that as he takes up his life again through resurrection, so we too might enter into an experience of new life which transcends death. Today is the first Sunday in Lent. It is a communion Sunday. We are beginning our journey to the cross, and as we do so, we have before us the symbols of the body of Christ laid down for us. And this is good news for our care. This is what it means for Christ to care for us through death and beyond. Because in the face of protection like this, the wolf of death is rendered powerless. This does not mean we do not physically die, you understand. It breaks the power of death over our lives. Jesus isn't simply talking here about some promise for beyond the grave, some kind of pie-in-the-sky-when-you-die vision of heaven. Rather, the new life which Jesus offers is a new quality of life which transcends even death. And this is something which begins very much in the here and now of today. Other carers may seek to help us avoid death, but ultimately they're simply postponing the inevitable whilst at best easing our journey towards it. Whereas the image of Jesus as the one who exercises care by himself dying is something altogether of a different order because it allows us to enter with Jesus into a new quality of life where death is no longer the enemy to be feared, the wolf to be dodged, Eternal life in Christ is something that radically affects the way we live our lives in the present. And the effect of this is one of release, as we are freed from our oh-so-human compulsion to see death as failure, death as defeat, death as the enemy. And instead, we are enabled to see our whole lives, from birth to death, as a gift from God, 
which has an eternal quality in Christ and is unconstrained to our three score years and ten plus a little bit if we're lucky. The significance of this then is that who we are today is of eternal value. Who we are even now is held fast in God's eternity because eternal life is ours today. It is ours as the result of the care offered by the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. This way of looking at the world has the potential then to alter the way in which we structure society, including those parts of it that we might call our care systems. So I wonder what a health service would look like, which was predicated on the notion of a good death, rather than automatically seeing death as the enemy to be avoided, and which was focused on wholeness of living, rather than simply sickness management. What if it was a health service? I wonder what a police force would look like, which was predicated on the concept of promoting justice rather than just punishing wrongdoing. A system which sought restoration rather than simply seeking to exercise retribution on all of our behalfs. I wonder what a political system would look like, which systematically recognised the eternal value of each human life, wherever that life was located on the planet and which sought peace and equality between humans as its first priority, rather than the protection of national interest at the expense of those less fortunate. This way of living that Jesus outlines is profoundly countercultural, and it has the capacity to transform society, and it begins with us. Those who are cared for by the Good Shepherd have already entered into a fullness of life. This is us, which offers a prophetic witness to wider society that there is an alternative and better way of being human, where death is not the ultimate enemy and self-preservation is not the ultimate goal. The experience of abundant life, eternal life, life in all its fullness, comes to us as the gift of the Good Shepherd. But it would be wrong of me to imply that it is cost-free. Certainly Jesus never demanded nor demands money in exchange for the fullness of life that he offers. And any who seek to sell the wholeness of life in Christ are, I believe, placing themselves at odds with his free gift of abundant life available for all. But as I said, there is a cost. Because entering into life eternal means entering into the life of Christ, who asks us to give ourselves in service for others, just as he has already given himself for us. This is no invoice we can pay and be done with. It is rather a call on all that we are, all that we do and all that we have. A call to begin lives dedicated to others to seeing them also entering into the free gift of abundant life that has been so graciously given to us. Jesus is very clear that the gift of eternal life is not something that people have the liberty of keeping to themselves. And so he says he also has other sheep who do not belong 
to this fold. This is not a protection racket in the name of Jesus. In the context of the first century, of course, Jesus was talking about the fact that the message of life eternal was not something just for the Jews, but was also a gift that must be given to the Gentiles. And in our context, it is similarly not something that is just for those who come to church Sunday by Sunday, but is also a gift for those who have never been near a church and may never do so. The gift of abundant living that comes through the care of the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep is good news for all human beings. And we who have received this gift are those who must take that gift and share it with others through our words, by our deeds, in fact, with our whole lives. But as we do so, we bear witness to a new way of being human which offers the world beyond our walls a profound and prophetic message of hope which has the capacity to transform lives to renew society as others enter into the care of the good shepherd and receive the gift of life eternal as jesus puts it slightly earlier in john's gospel in chapter six this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Nothing in this life that is good is lost. This is true for you. It is true for me. It is true for all of us. God's universal love embraces all that can be embraced within the love of God. And so nothing of value is ever wasted. No life is of no value and each moment is of eternal worth. And this, I believe, is good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. A few moments of quiet to reflect. So I'm going to lead us in our prayers, but please everyone pray yourselves. And if what I say helps, that's great. But after the week we've had, I think prayer is really important. So we come to you in in prayer we cry to you God we cry and lament to you God because of the things that make us sad that worry us the thing the things that keep us awake at night in our world of course we pray for the Ukrainian crisis we pray for truth we pray for the people. We pray for peace. We pray for the sheep that you, the shepherd, would want to look after. We pray for the ministers of religion and churches all across the areas. We pray for the ministers of religion both in Kyiv and in Moscow and we pray for all the bordering countries we pray for the churches that are helping the refugees 
We also pray for other areas where despotic regimes and violence is being meted out as they take advantage of the diversion of the eyes of the world to the Ukrainian crisis. And there are many that we don't even know of, but in particular we pray for Ethiopia and Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Myanmar, We pray for fair trade around the world in this fair trade fortnight. And we pray that this would flourish ever more and even more with all that's happening in world uh, trade and sanctions. We pray for poor people to benefit from their work and for consumers to be paying to those who produce the maximum that's possible. For other crises, Lord, we think of the climate crisis and our efforts to try to mitigate our effects that are causing this. And again, with the events of the last week, we know that these can get just forgotten about and are going in reverse. And we pray, Lord, for all those in positions of power, but also scientists and things who are trying to work out how we do this. And we pray for the effects of all of this on people and their livelihoods around the world, and particularly the poor and those in poorer countries. Coming closer into home in our own country, in our own city, we pray for those worried about the cost of living, the increase in fuel costs, food costs, and how to make ends meet. And we pray for real change in the care system as well, Lord, and this um, meeting on the 30th. We pray for real changes in attitudes in the police. And in this week, which is the anniversary of Sarah Everard's murder, we pray, Lord, for the safety of women in particular. And coming in even closer, we pray for our own church. We remember Numa, who came into membership just now, this morning, and we pray for her. And we pray for all the members. We pray, Lord, for Saeed after his operation and as he recovers and waits for further results and tests. And we remember him and Kathleen and we lift them up to you. And we pray for all of us to grow in depth. We pray for our own religion to have impact in the world. We pray for our own spirituality and we pray for our sense of community that we are trying to build. And for us as individuals and each of us to cry out, Lord, we pray that you'd help us in our faith and in our hope and in our love that we would bring to this world. We ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. May the God who binds up the brokenhearted who proclaims freedom to the captive and promises justice to all who mourn its loss. Bless you with beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness in place of grief, and instead of your spirit of despair, a garment of unending praise. 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.